On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Troy Hain. Uh, Troy and I connected using the NATA's membership um, AT Gather portal. Just happened to be clicking through, looking at who was all in there, and sure enough, found Troy, who happened to be working in the same health system as I was, and so connected. And since then, we've been able to touch base on a monthly basis, just kind of talking about ideas, things specific to our employer. And so it's been really um, a great thing, a great way to connect. Um, highly recommend people checking it out. But Troy has done a ton in his career, and that's what we talk about in this episode, just everything that he has done, all the different things he's been involved with, how that's evolved over the course of his career, and how it's continuing to evolve as he keeps learning more on different avenues in patient care and how to care for everybody uh, that he may come into contact with in his role um, in the secondary school and as a supervisor. So lots covered, lots of really good information. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out for your sports medicine needs. All kinds of new things coming from them all the time. Always worth checking out. Uh, everything's in swing already. Be sure to hit them up if you need to get something quickly to get going and really to make sure that you have all your sports medicine needs. We appreciate them greatly. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat we are on with troy hain uh who is an athletic training supervisor at mayo clinic health system in the mankato um area in minnesota um along with doing just about everything else when it comes to service slash volunteering within state and national um organizations which we'll talk a little bit about uh but i actually connected with troy as i was clicking through the mentor-mentee aspect, I believe, of NATA Gather. I don't honestly remember where that all was, but I was just kind of scrolling through, wanted to see who was out there to connect with, and saw Troy, saw that we worked for the same organization, but in very different locations uh, with very different um, athletic training services provided uh, in varying degrees. So I thought it'd be a good reason to reach out, and we pretty well, we I'd say we shoot about 60 to 70% on our monthly uh, calls just to touch base and bounce ideas off and look at different things. But uh, ultimately, finally got to the point where we are now uh, recording this episode to just talk about all kinds of different things that Troy has gotten into throughout his career. But before we get into all of that, I want to turn it over to you, Troy, to kind of fill in your background, uh, and then we'll jump into some of the specific questions. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Joel. And, you know, going back to that mentor-mentee thing, I think that's, you know, honestly, it's one of those things that I think, you know, you sign up for and, and unless people are reaching out, you kind of forget it's there. For sure. But obviously, if, you know, at this point in time, it's certainly how we connected. We maybe would have connected in a different way eventually anyway. But at the same time, if anybody is out there, you know, listening and, and don't know anything about it, I think look it up. It could be a great resource to potentially connect with somebody that's maybe has 
like-minded um, interests of you, and maybe they're in a completely different area of the of the country even, but you could obviously maybe just find that relationship and connection too. So it is a great resource from that perspective. I did um, sign up as a mentor and a mentee, so that you can do both. Um, nobody's reached out though. That's true, you have both options. Um, otherwise, yeah, you know, I kind of got, you know, started a little bit as, you know, when I was in high school, I guess, you know, as far as kind of where athletic training got me to where I'm at now, I guess a little bit, you know, I was in high school, I, I really enjoyed sports, I was, I was injured later in my senior year, I was in a car accident, actually. So I mean, at that point in time, um, you know, that kind of limited, obviously, my activity, and I didn't, we didn't necessarily have an athletic trainer that was at our school all the time. We did have somebody there for our football games at that point in time. Nobody that I actually interacted with at that point in time either. And, you know, looking back now, I almost wish I would have known more. Um, but obviously in the way that things kind of fell into place, that was just kind of the way it happened. Um, you know, and I, I joke a little bit because I was somewhat interested in veterinary medicine, um, you know, when I was going through high school. And so I had kind of a general interest in medicine um, and kind of in the sciences, um, but, you know, never really pursued that. But yet now when I joke that I help a different kind of animal when we talk about helping high school athletes or collegiate athletes or whatever else it might be or any of our patients sometimes that we interact with. Um, so, but ultimately, you know, from there, I kind of just, you know, I, I was being in Mankato and, and with uh, Mankato State University at the time, because I am that old that that was the name of the college at that point in time, but now Minnesota State University, Mankato, um, you know, it was local and, and close to home. And at that point in time, easy to just kind of, you know, enroll there. And that was kind of the plan. And athletic training, though, at that point in time wasn't necessarily the intent. But, you know, I started looking at the the options for majors and I kind of just saw athletic training, knew I loved sports, knew I wasn't going to be continuing to play them. Um, and wanted to just kind of, you know, see more of what that was about and kind of enrolled in that intro class and, and kind of never really looked back and probably honestly put in, you know, I don't even know how many hours I put in, you know, as far as observation time in the athletic training room. And just, I really wanted to kind of be as immersed in it as I could at that point in time. You know, my my side joke to that was I worked for my my dad who owned a hardware store and I didn't necessarily love that job. Um, and he knew that, but yet, so maybe I just use it as a as a way to get out of having to, you know, go to work because I could say, hey, I've got to stay at school and do this stuff. Um, but, but really loved it really from that point in time. Um, and that's, you know, kind of what, you know, got me at least into athletic training. You know, then I guess, you know, when it comes to the job side of things, you know, I initially when we got, when I got, as I was going through college, I was a little bit in a unique situation. I got married between my junior and senior year of, of undergrad. And then our first child was born just before I graduated um, from college. So some of my classmates obviously were going off to grad school. And, you know, at that point in time with a young family, I just didn't really feel like that was the, the right choice to make just from a financial perspective. So really just started looking for jobs and ended up out in Michigan um, and worked in Jackson, Michigan at Foot Hospital at the time, um, which I don't think is the name of the hospital anymore. I don't know what it is now, but um, and did um, outreach athletic training there and, and worked in their physical therapy clinic and kind of got to know a little bit about it and kind of got my feet wet out there and really enjoyed that job. But ultimately, it was still about 12 hours from home and, you know, with the young family trying to get back closer to home. And when I was kind of starting to look to get back closer to home, that ultimately there was a job at the orthopedic and fracture clinic, which at the time in Mankato was the only company that was hiring athletic trainers outside of the college themselves. Um, and I kind of, you know, was able to get into that role and, and, you know, I ask a lot of the students that I work with now, you know, dream big and push 10 years out from now and just what would you want to be doing? And I really ask that question just so that I can help guide them in some of their decisions a little bit to see what they want to do. But, but ultimately also, you know, it's 
something that I'm just curious to kind of know where they want to be. And I always tell them if I were to answer that question that I asked them, being back at you know OFC at that point in time and then back at Mankato East High School, which is my alma mater, was kind of what I would have wanted to do. And so luckily, it only took me a year to get to that spot um, and jumped into that role. And I was there for 20 years um, as the head athletic trainer there and, and worked at, you know again, kind of clinic outreach um, functions and being the head athletic trainer at that point in time. And then the opportunity about four years came up where, where Mayo Clinic Health System was expanding their sports medicine and athletic training services here in Mankato. And kind of took that opportunity to explore that to explore that option and and you know kind of luckily kind of got myself into this position now and I'm really enjoying it and so that's kind of the kind of the the cliff notes version of just kind of those 25-ish years I guess. It's funny to hear your story because like I also I had no idea what athletic training was other than I had seen kinesiology on the outside of a weight room when I was in high school and thought that's what I wanted to do. Heard about athletic training on my freshman orientation. Had no idea what it was. Thought it sounded cool. We were supposed to do a bunch of observe hours too. I think I did like three <laughs> and ended up getting into the program <laughs> and turned it around. So I definitely did not uh, do the same amount to diving in, uh, but glad that it worked out that way. Uh, you obviously just as you uh, gave in your uh, short history of what you've done in your career, worked at a variety of different companies, um, variety of settings, kind of bouncing back and forth, looking at all the different things. How have you adapted in each of those roles and how has that benefited you, you know, in your role now as a supervisor? And I also would be curious, you know, when you said, what's your goal 10 years ahead as you're talking to students? if you know this you would have considered this your goal and how that just has evolved yeah absolutely you know and it's unique because you know outside of that year in michigan you know i've kind of always been in a supervisory role you know i've always been you know depending on you know, i was called head athletic trainer at one place supervisor at the other place but ultimately sure. the role was the same um you know so i've kind of always been overseeing the staff and and I've always said too that you know probably the thing that it it still bugs me to this day when people say well yeah that's my boss and I you know I guess you know technically that's the case but yet I don't feel that way sure. um, you know I feel like all of my staff are kind of my colleagues and I feel like we all work together and I'm going to lean on them as much as hopefully they lean on me for times um, and I'm probably going to learn just as much from them sometimes too and hopefully I'll allow a little bit of of learning for them um, but you know overall though I think just over the course of time. You know, the the things that I've learned, obviously, is, you know, to, I think part of that still is the process of kind of continuing to kind of have that colleague mentality, I guess, with my staff. Um, I feel like that's kind of allowed me <clears throat> to grow a little bit more through that process. And I, you know, I've always tried to not be somebody who micromanages. I know that, you know, obviously in these situations when we're doing these, you know, we're in a spot and a lot of our staff is in a completely separate area. We're not in one of these situations where we're all working together on a unit on a daily basis right. you know or interacting on a daily basis necessarily at least in person um so we kind of have to have some confidence with our staff to allow them to do the job that we know that they can do and so i don't want to try to get in their way of doing that sometimes obviously we've all learned that people do things differently whether it's taping an ankle or maybe the way they go about their evaluations or how they do some different managing situations and all of that's perfectly fine and all we all get to the same end goal um but you know i think that just over those years, I've kind of learned to kind of continue to lean on that, but also to 
to get into a position where, you know, you can kind of be in the room to help make those decisions. And, you know, I think I'm in a place now where that is happening, um, you know, and again, you're not always making the ultimate decision, but you're helping guide those decisions. And I think, you know, now at this point in my career, I do think that that's important for me to be able to, you know, kind of provide the expertise to allow those, you know, decisions, you know, kind of throughout the enterprise, so to speak, to help hopefully make productive and positive change, you know, not just for me and my staff, but I think for athletic training in general, um, you know, and what kind of is going to fit better for everybody. I like the colleague option, of, you know, just a viewpoint of that. I think that's, you know, working, I'm big on the, you know, I work with you. I don't, you know, or you work, you know, we work with each other. We don't, you don't work for me necessarily type of a thing where, yes, there's some of that structure when it's needed, but is not the standard operating procedure, if you will. Nope, absolutely. One of the big questions, because if, and I may just add this so people can go back and take a look at it, uh, is the list of things you've done in terms of service and volunteer work. How did you get started in it? And every time you and I talk on a monthly basis, it seems like somehow you're serving on another committee or doing something else. You know, how do you balance that into your work and personal life? You know, it's easy to sign up for it and just kind of be there, but then to really contribute and drive things forward. How do you manage all of that? Have a Asking patient for a family. Friend. Have a patient family. Um, you know, my, my wife says multiple times that she doesn't think I say no to anything. And, and she is probably right. Although I do specifically point out the times that I do say no, just so that she's aware that it does happen from time to time. Fair, um, fair. You know, honestly, how it got started, you know, I think it was just an interest, but I think also a big interest. And I think this is important too. And I think it's important for all of us as athletic trainers, no matter what role we play. Um, in, you know, if we are interested in getting involved in anything, um, to make sure that the people that we're working with also kind of see that. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying for my role is that a lot of my mentors and a lot of the instructors that I had back in college, you know, were all involved and they had been doing things and they were, you know, and I was seeing that and I was hearing a little bit of that just kind of through what they were doing on the service that they were doing. And I think it kind of just showed me at an early point in my career that you could do both, um, you know, that you could still continue to have your career and still be able to continue and do volunteer work and kind of serve your profession. You know, so it really, you know, probably almost 20-ish years ago is kind of when I, I kind of just started to get interested and obviously being in the secondary school setting primarily at the time, but yet also being on the clinic side of things and working a little bit in the PT clinic, you know, there was at the time there was a clinic industrial and corporate committee, and then there was a secondary school committee. So I kind of just basically applied to be a part of both of those. Cause I felt like both of those fit for our state organization. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ultimately that, that clinic industrial corporate committee, you know, is now no longer, and it sure has morphed a gazillion different times into multiple different committees, um, you know, from what the title of it was then. Um, but, you know, you know, so I was on that kind of just in the time frame that it, it ran for, which is a few years. And then, you know, the secondary school committee, I never really left from that point in time. You know, I think I jumped on in about 2005 and, and was a, a committee member for a number of years. And then I was a chair of that committee for, for 10 years and then had stepped back from the chair role and have just continued to be a committee member now since then. So, um, you know, that's certainly been where the kind of the primary passion, I guess, has been, um, you know, from that committee work side of things as far as what I was, you know, doing then at the state level. And then, 
you know, as I got going, Paul Bruning, who was um, also one of the state leaders in Minnesota and at that time was at, the, at Gustavus Adolphus College, um, you know, I think you, and I try to do this now with others too, but sometimes people see things in you that you maybe don't see in yourself. And he had initially, and I think he was maybe in the president role at that point in time for the MHCA, he had encouraged me to apply for the NETA Secondary School Committee at, a, at what I felt was a age that was too young to apply for that role. Um, like I didn't feel like I had been doing this long enough. Um, but you know, he, you know, the fact that he asked kind of made me think, well, well, maybe I should. And so I did. And and ultimately at that stage of the game, which I think was around 2008 or so, um, I had applied, you know, did kind of went through the interview process and and didn't get that that position to be the the D4 rep at that time. Um, and then when that term ended and when it came back up around in, in 2011, then I kind of did the same thing again and applied again. And then I was able to to be elected then at that point in time to serve on on that role and and ultimately probably the most impactful thing I've probably done um, as, in my career as far as serving on that committee, you know it was super um, it was super in, cool kind of at the time and engaging at the time but yet the continuation of that role and the role that that committee has continued to have even since I've been off of it now for almost ten years and we had. We always have an alumni gathering at the NETA conference, and you know, I was it was hard to believe that I'd been off for almost ten years because you feel like you're a part of that committee always, whether it's sure. communication, whether it's those kind of groups where we get together and talk, and so you don't ever, even though you're maybe not on the board meetings, um, you kind of still feel like you're pretty well involved, and and you know, we kind of have a joke that it's you know we you can you can leave you know you you ultimately get up end up you know serving your time, but you don't really ever leave. Um, cause we always kind of keep you around, but, um, but, you know, and then obviously just the resources that that's continued to evolve, you know, not only with the people, but just, you know, the, the data and the information and the, the position statements and whatever else that's being worked on has been super important for me then too. And then I think basically once I got done with that, then I kind of just felt like I was in line to kind of serve more, um, at the state level. And that's kind of when I got involved to be president elect. And then I was president, I served as vice president in an interim role for a little bit um, with the state, and currently now I'm the the Gladys state rep um, for the for the Minnesota Athletic Trainers Association. So I've served in one way or shape or form on all of our executive committee roles, I guess, within the MATA, other than secretary or treasurer. Um, and I can definitely say they don't want me to be treasurer, so I don't want to do that for sure. But still um, figuring that one out uh, as we go. Not a not a math guy, but. Um, you know, so, but then ultimately, then I think the the other things, you know, that just kind of, you know, I got involved in a lot of concussion stuff too. And I think we'll talk a little bit about that, but, you know, I got involved in some of the concussion committees um, from around the state. And that really started because of the concussion law and when that got going. Um, and because I was in the role that I was in with the secondary school committee, it kind of just became a natural fit to kind of jump into those discussions with the concussion law. And then from there, it just kind of, allowed me to meet a lot of new people outside of athletic training, but in the, the traumatic brain injury space um, that, you know, all of a sudden afforded me a lot of other colleagues in different areas that, you know, were asking me questions and were pulling me into situations um, that were really interesting. Um, and so that was kind of, you know, where that, so I've served on the Department of Human Services TBI committee now for eight, nine, 10 years now, give or take. Um, I was chair of that for a year. I'd served that term. Um, you know, I'm involved now in the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice as their Athletic Training Advisory Committee. 
I'm a KSI ambassador now for, for the Corey Stringer Institute. When they started that role, I kind of got involved with that, not necessarily because I needed another thing to do, but I was, you know, when I was on the secondary school committee, that's kind of when Atlas really got started. Um, sure. And I can still remember talking in those committee meetings about how others were doing it. And, and Ronnie Harper down in Louisiana, who kind of, they basically were doing that in Louisiana. And that was ultimately what kind of spread it to be a nationwide thing. And he was on the committee with me at the time. And I can still remember sitting, waiting for public transportation, just chatting about how this might look for the future. And so I've been in on, have been in on the Atlas project pretty much from its inception. So I figured it made the most sense to obviously be an ambassador when they kind of started those roles for the states as well. Um, and there's probably a few others I'm missing, but, um, and when I, talk to others that's kind of you know sometimes I kind of give them the background of like the different things that I've done and then after a little bit I'm like oh yeah and I'm also doing this oh yeah I'm also doing this um and they think it's funny because I kind of forget what I'm involved with sometimes myself <laughs> um but all that being said I mean how to balance it you know I really yeah you know, like I said obviously having a patient family is really important but um I think you just find a way I mean you also have to have the awareness that you're not going to make every meeting that gets scheduled um you know you hope to you hope to, but obviously sometimes the schedule is just not going to allow you to kind of get to all of them. Um, but at the same time, you just, you know, you schedule them accordingly. And obviously sometimes they're maybe in the middle of the day. Sometimes they're maybe in the evenings and a lot of times are on the weekends. Um, and you know, in the perfect situation, they kind of are spread out enough where they're not kind of piled all on top of each other. So it kind of feels like a lot. Um, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're like, holy cow, I have four of those meetings this week or whatever else it might be. Um, but it is just kind of a, I guess it's more of a passion and kind of just a, for me, a little bit of a professional responsibility to give back as well. Um, and, you know, so that's why I've just kind of made it a focus for me to, to kind of continue in those roles and, and do whatever I can to help. You kind of alluded to it, and I just wanted to see if you would be willing to, you know, explain in a little bit more depth. You, know, you just mentioned, you know, your way of giving back. How do you explain the importance of, you know, serving, you know, even just at the state, not, I don't mean just, but at the state association level, all the way up uh, to the NATA, you know, for your staff members, in particular, even younger ones, there's probably always been conversation i don't know if it's just louder now with social media you know you know what is the nata done for me or you know the state association and it's easy to have those conversations when you're at a state association meeting because everybody there is obviously a believer in the state association they're there um and paying members but how do you, how do you see that and when you say you know giving back you know what does that mean to you i think i mean it's uh, yeah we could probably talk you know forever about all of that stuff too but i mean i think that you know, obviously we all know that we got to where we are because of what others have done um sure. and i think that that applies not only in our professional lives but obviously in our personal ones too um you know we can look to our parents or other loved ones or just other people that were important in our lives but um and i think sometimes when it comes to athletic training sometimes those people blend together um and you know sometimes the mentors that we had or the people that you know were hall of famers um you know, are, are people that you, you know, you kind of, you think back into the things that they had to do or the things that they did, or maybe a little bit of a few of the things that they had to fight through to kind of get to, to where we are now. And, you know, I think, you know, as much as people may complain about wherever we are at now, I don't think anybody would complain that we're better off now than we were 25, 30 years ago. And, sure. you know, so all of that growth has to continue somehow. And, and obviously, if we don't have anybody who's willing to kind of do that service work on the back end, then a lot of it's just not going to happen at all. 
Um, so obviously, I would always encourage anybody who has a lot of those questions to kind of, you know, get involved if you can and and kind of start to see what level you can maybe, you know, be an asset for and kind of be helpful with and provide your expertise and, and obviously speak your mind as well. I mean, there's obviously there's there's positives and negatives to all those discussions and all of those board meetings. Um, and not everybody's always in agreement. And it's OK to have that other stance, because sometimes that's the stance that you need to hear to ultimately make the change that has to happen. Um, and we know it can't be status quo. We know things have to change. But but ultimately, I think just, yes, yeah, the kind of the ability to kind of just giving back to, you know, like I said, the people who did it before us, but also in trying to lay down a better path for those coming after us also. Um, and hopefully they make it even better. Obviously, that's the goal. Um, but that's kind of the way I would view that, I guess. I appreciate the insight there. I just, it, I'm always curious as to, you know, what drives people into it and just where the value is seen. And so I appreciate your insight on there. Um, one other question we had is, you know, you've been preceptor for almost your entire career. We referenced some students before and helping them guide where they want to go in the profession. Uh, is it, how many schools kind of in your area that have AT programs? Is it just the one, two? We have I guess? two really. We have two within about fifteen miles, give okay. or take. Um, uh, so we have both, you know, Minnesota State University Mankato, and then Gustavus Adolphus College yep. that have had programs. Um, so in those, yeah, I've been involved with both of those programs, you know, in varying capacities, um, whether it's you know some clinical experience, some uh, high school clinical experiences. Um, and, you know, and then obviously, you know, observation students through the years and, you know, all kinds of different levels of just about everything, I guess. And, you know, I, it maybe sounds a little bit weird to say, but I mean, outside of some of that professional service, you know, I think my, my interaction with those students and kind of being preceptors over all those years is maybe the other thing that's been the most impactful in my kind of professional career. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Again, kind of taking that colleague mentality, I've always, you know, obviously those, you know, students are there to learn and I want them, you know, I want to provide them the best learning environment that they possibly can can have. And, you know, but at the same time, I'm also working with them in a lot of these situations. I mean, as we're, it's a really busy athletic training room, those patients are coming in and obviously, you know, I'm doing this and they're helping with that and we're all kind of working for the same goal. Um, and obviously I'm there to help instruct and, and kind of interfere potentially too, if, if it needs to be that. Um, but I really do feel like it's a kind of a team-based situation with those students too. So, and I've always hoped that they kind of get the same thing out of it from me. Um, I certainly want them to utilize me as much as possible. And I always encourage them to utilize me for really ever afterwards. Um, I always told them that after you leave that rotation or after you graduate from the school that you're going to, and I don't care if it's two years from now or 20 years from now, if you feel like there's a reason that you want to reach out to me about something, I want you to do it. Um, and I want to be a resource for them, whether it's personally or professionally, um, if there's something that I can help with, you know, and I always give the example of, you know, I've had students before that have been, that have moved to other states and they've, I've talked to them in other situations and they've been, I just don't have any idea of who's there or what, you know, I don't know what clinics hire, I don't know what schools are doing this, you know, whatever. And I usually, again, because of some of that, um, you know, some of that service work, I've got a contact in those areas because right. of something, maybe somebody that I worked with on a committee or whatever else. And then I can like, well, I'll put you in touch with so-and-so. And that may not be specifically where you're living, but they probably have a resource within the state that can kind of help get you going too. So I want to try to at least be that conduit a little bit. 
for them to just kind of help guide um, them. But, you know, overall, it's just been, it's been a really rewarding experience for me um, to work with those students. Um, and I've always said that I, you know, I thank them just as much as they probably thank me. And I, I always am somewhat in awe of watching them kind of learn. And obviously, I think all of us are in awe of the things that they're learning now and the things that we weren't maybe taught when we were in school a long time ago. Right. Um, so I'm learning from them. You know, I always say maybe just as much as they're learning from me. Um, but it's just fun to see that and kind of work with them and and kind of help continue them grow as professionals also. Perfect. I appreciate that. Um, a couple more topics that we we're going to cover because this was going to be wide ranging. Um, you referenced concussion a little bit and just everything you've been doing with that. Um, you and I have been talking just trying as you all have been trying to get a concussion clinic kind of upstarted uh, within the sports med department. Um, out at Man in Mankato. Specifically, what kind of got you into concussion? Why has it continued to be such an important topic for you? You know, outside probably some of the obvious things that everybody's like, well, obviously concussion's important. Uh, but is there anything beyond that, um, if you will, that really has made that a topic of interest for you? Yeah, well, if we circle all the way back to that car accident that I had my senior year of high school, you know, my, you know, pretty significant accident, you know, that I remember very little about. But at the same time, you know, afterwards, when I start to think about that recovery, I had a hairline fracture in my pelvis um, that, you know, was my my limiting factor in mobility, I guess, at that point in time. And at that point, that was all that was really talked about was the fact that, you know, it will just kind of heal on its own and you can kind of progress back into activity as you can. And again, didn't have anybody specifically playing a role at the school. So everything I did at that time was kind of, you know, walk when I could walk normal, jog when it was pain-free, run when it was pain-free, and then work my way back into football at that point in time, which is exactly what I did. Um, but at the same time, I can still remember the JV football game that I was playing in then on my first game back. And I can still remember taking the handoff, cutting inside and getting hit and laying at the sky and probably swearing um, as my head was spinning um, and kind of at you know, again, at that moment, not really thinking much of it other than I knew I couldn't stay in the game at that point in time. And I came out and just said, nope, not ready yet. Um, but, you know, looking back at the time, obviously, I was so focused on the injury to my hip and my ability to function, you know, and be mobile and had no correlation to the head injury that I sustained in that accident. Um, so obviously, that I think, you know, even though it probably wasn't at that time, you know, when I think back on it, that obviously certainly was a point in time where, it, you know, allowed me to want to learn more and to know more. And then obviously not really having the help and care, so to speak, at that point in time that I probably would have had if, you know, it happened today, um, you know, and the things that I would have learned, you know, and not been back in the game at that point in time, if it were today kind of just kind of sprung me forward to want to be more involved in, you know, concussion management and concussion awareness. And then, like I said, with the, with the concussion law, when that kind of got kicked off in, you know, 2010, 2011, and kind of being involved in that committee. And then that kind of just, you know, then all of a sudden you start to, when you start to do a lot of those things, obviously you just get really involved in that, that kind of specific area. Whereas then now all of a sudden, a lot of people start asking you questions about it. And so then all of a sudden, whether you want to become the expert, you kind of end up, you know, even if the questions are being asked of you and you maybe don't know the answer, you're going to be the one that's going to try to find it. Sure. Um, you know, and like I said, you know, in, in getting involved in some of those other situations, you know, it was, you know, one other opportunity that I had that, you know, was all because of some of the, 
the kind of the collaboration that I had with other people in that TBI kind of family, so to speak, was, you know, it, Senator Klobuchar had a press conference here in Minnesota back in 2014 or 2015, I think, because she was pushing a, at that time, a, a bill that would basically prohibit companies from putting advertising on their concussion products that weren't valid and weren't actually backed by science. Because obviously at that point in time, if you said you could reduce concussion by 50%, if you wore this, tried this, whatever it might be, sure. parents were going to eat that up like crazy. Yep. So she was trying to, trying to stop the false advertising. So again, they're doing this press conference. They want people to speak at it. And all of a sudden I'm getting notices from these other colleagues that are saying, hey, she's doing this. This would be a really good thing for you to speak at. You know, so I was able to speak at that, which, you know, and again, when I get those opportunities, I don't really look at it as the fact that I got the opportunity to speak at that. I look at it a little bit more as an athletic trainer got the opportunity to speak at that. Sure. Um, because I feel like that's, and even within my role with the, the TBI committee also, I really am, it's more based of, I want an athletic trainer involved in that committee, whether it continues to be me or whatever the situation might be. I don't want to lose the kind of the ground that we've made with having, you know, our healthcare professional, you know, as an athletic trainer represented on that. Um, so I just like to kind of continue to find ways to get athletic trainers, whether it's me or somebody else into those situations where we can kind of help make a difference. I think that's awesome. And I really, really applaud and love the viewpoint of, you know, getting an AT to have that at the table, whether it's you or not, just the fact to get someone there is so important. Uh, couldn't agree more there. Uh, anything else on concussion before we kind of move into kind of the last topic, just because it is such a big topic, the concussion? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, obviously, I think it's important for all athletic trainers to kind of delve into the new consensus document now um, and kind of learn what's in it and kind of see some of the the slight changes and things that are out there. I know there's some great, you know, obviously the the paper is is in depth, and obviously the research is very in depth. And I know there's a lot of podcasts and different things out there to listen to that are are also very good. Um, that kind of breaks some things down. And but you know, I think it's just it's important for us to kind of stay on top of all the new information um, and to kind of make sure that we're educating people. But yeah, and I think it's you know it's crazy for me to think of you know because I'm old enough where you know we manage concussions way differently when I started. You know basically to the point where, you know, if you cleared up your symptoms within about 15 minutes and you could kind of do a couple of things, you were able to go back to play the same day, sure. you know, to, to what we're doing now. And obviously this continues to evolve with these consensus documents, which is great, but I still think that there's probably a time where, you know, we look 20 years potentially down from now that we may laugh still at what we were doing today. Um, you know, and the fact like, oh, can you remember that we used to do this and had them, right. had them do that after this amount of time, you know, and I don't know where it's going to go, but I, you know, the the research is amazing and the and the information that continues to come out is is amazing and I think it's only gonna obviously it's gonna make for for just safer athletics in general um, and and hopefully you know kind of a better situation long term too for anybody who's dealt with concussions and who were you know hopefully managed appropriately. Absolutely. Uh, kind of the last big topic. Um... We, you and I just talked about this a little bit as we were trying to come up with topics uh, for this episode. Uh, and you mentioned that you started learning a lot more about the care and working with athletes that are transgender. Uh, how is this impacting you and your career as you continue to learn more? Obviously, for whatever reasons, it can be a hot topic for people, but 
you know, what have you learned? What, how are you applying that in your daily uh, clinical care? Um, and just you know, whatever else you're willing to share around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think I've always, I've always, you know, saw myself as somebody that was, you know, would be an ally for anybody who maybe falls into one of those marginalized communities. Um, and, you know, I kind of got sprung into this a little bit more because, you know, my daughter is transgender. Um, and, you know, that came up late in her high school career where she, you know, kind of came out to us on that. And, and obviously that certainly kind of thrust me into that world a little bit. Um, and to, you know, I guess, you know, we kind of go back to some of where we, you know, I kind of gathered some of this concussion information and kind of, kind of, you know, continued on that course. And, you know, now obviously there was that a new situation that I wanted to learn more about and kind of get more information about. And obviously, you know, as I learned more about it, I certainly, you know, looking at myself a little bit too, you know, even though you feel like you do a pretty good job with, you know, interacting with people and kind of making sure that, you know, you're being an ally and providing a safe space, you probably still, as you learn more about it, can think of ways that you probably fell short on some of that. And so, I mean, ultimately continuing to learn more has really helped me, I think, be a better provider in that sense, you know, and then in that I've basically kind of taken a, a little bit taken it upon myself to try to provide more education to my own staff, to our staff kind of throughout the enterprise a little bit too, and doing some education sessions um, and kind of putting together, you know, some of those things. And again, certainly not an expert because there are people that have done way more in this world than I have um, when it comes to that topic. But, um, you know, I've kind of learned from them, taken information from them and the Safe Space Ally training that the NATA offers on their professional development um, is is a great resource. Um, you get CEUs for it. I can't remember now if it's one and a half or two and a half, um, but you know it's certainly a it's a tremendous program, and certainly a lot of the things that I'm kind of conveying to my staff is being pulled pretty much directly from that. Either the one that's that's online that you can do there, and I've done some in person ones at our Gladic conference as well. Um, but you know it's you know it's certainly kind of you know, allowed me to, because we're all going to, you know, we're, I guess what I like to say is, you know, ultimately we're the healthcare providers for everyone. Um, and it doesn't matter, you know, who somebody, how they identify, you know, what their sexual orientation is, whatever it might be, you know, if they're coming to us, we're there to provide care for them in no matter what that situation is. Um, and so we better be equipped to be able to prepare and, and to know what we need to know in those situations as well, to not only you know, provide the care that we need, but also be an ally. And we're, you know, we all know, I think in the athletic training rooms that we've worked in throughout our careers that a lot of people will come to that room as a safe space. And I think that we need to continue to utilize that as a safe space. Um, and obviously that can extend into our clinics. And I think we can have a voice within our clinics also that if we see things within our clinics that maybe aren't in a situation where we could do better, um, whether it's the forms that we have people fill out or maybe some signage that's up or, you know, maybe advocating for different things as we start to, you know, if there is some renovation that's gonna be done, maybe you can put more of a, a general neutral bathroom in or whatever the situation might be, a try to be a voice and maybe not just always sit back. We may not always get what we want. I mean, we know we're dealing with sometimes higher powers sometimes, but, but at least, you know, I think we can sit back at the end of the day and say we tried. And I think that's important. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think that, you know, just continuing to to provide that safe space, learn as much as we can um, is, is certainly the the way to go. And, and I'm certainly open to anybody who ever would want to reach out to me, um, you know, if they certainly want to ask questions um, or get more information. Um, but like I said, I feel like, you know, the NATA has a tremendous amount of resources, um, you know, through their 
through the LGBTQIA plus page itself and some of their their committees. Um, you know, it's got a great Twitter account with a lot of information also. And then you know, the Trevor Project has some great information as far as the website goes, and there's a number of other ones. But you know, if you really want to dive into it, there is a ton of information out there, and the statistics are you know honestly pretty sad when we start to compare you know some of the suicide rates from you know people who are in those marginalized communities and the ones that aren't. Um, and you know, it it kind of in a way to me anyway, it makes you want to do better um, because if maybe one of those situations, if you can be an ally for one person that maybe they're having a hard time in whatever space that they're in otherwise, and that potentially helps change their mind on some of those things, that's a huge impact. Um, and I think it's important for us to at least to try to provide that opportunity for that. Completely agree um, and appreciate everything that you said there um, and just sharing more about it at having never worked with anybody openly knowing that they uh, were transgender. You know, that's always something I've tried to keep in mind as well as you know we're we're there for them and that should be part of our role it's a lot it can be a lot and i haven't dug into it nearly as much as uh obviously you have and many other people but yeah it's i think it, that duty falls upon us and the role that we've taken yeah and i think as athletic trainers we all know we're gonna it's we're going to have it at some point in time you know whether it's in our high schools whether it's in our colleges whether it's in our clinic settings at some point in time we're all going to interact with somebody um within that you know kind of queer umbrella so to speak as they like to term you know as they like to use that term that falls somewhere in there um and you know again just kind of being aware and i think Pronoun use is extremely important. I think that can be a, a pretty big sign also that, you know, whether you use it on your, your email signatures or, you know, whatever else it might be to try to at least convey that you are an ally. Um, and, you know, I, I could certainly see a, a time too where we, you know, some greetings, I think, you know, we'll get to the point where a lot of times, you know, we maybe even be just sharing our pronouns very publicly as much as we do our name and how we kind of talk to people. Um, and I know in talking to teachers and you know, all the way down to middle school that, you know, it's it's a very impactful thing for them. And they've, you know, certainly had to modify, you know, how they they kind of teach and how they identify with their, you know, with their students at that point in time. Um, you know, so it's certainly, you know, something that's going to impact all of us in one way, shape or form, some more than others, certainly. Um, but I think we'd be naive to think that we're never going to encounter it. Sure. We covered a wide variety of topics. Um, in not too long of a time. Anything else that you wanted to cover that we may have skipped over uh, before we jump into those AT chat questions? I don't think so. I think we got it pretty well covered. Yeah, I think we did, did well for covering quite a wide variety. Uh, first one then, where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Um, yeah, that's a great question. And I, you know, I kind of talked a little bit about, you know, that we, you know, I certainly see a, a, you know, what's happened before us to what's happening now to what's happening in the future. You know, but I think there's going to just be that continued job growth in general. You know, I think we're going to continue to see just new areas where athletic trainers are working in, which just continues to show kind of our ability to work in a lot of different settings and to be really unique as healthcare providers in that situation. You know, I think we'll probably continue to see a little bit of expansion in third party reimbursement as well. And I think, you know, we're, you know, we're on the way and we have a lot of data and a lot of states that have done a lot of work within that. And, you know, I think we're only going to learn from those successes and continue to build on them. And obviously we've got, you know, Practice Act things and governmental affair things to do at all levels to probably, you know, make some of those changes 
continue to happen, you know, more often and easier. But I certainly, you know, see that that's certainly going to be something that's going to be more prevalent as we continue to move forward. Um, and then I think too, as we just kind of see this, the transition now with our with our colleges and our universities and the education program. You know, I think the just the the I don't even know what to call it the change necessarily, but just the the general growth of our our profession when it comes to the educational level and the things that they're doing now and the things that they're coming out equipped to do, um, I think is just going to continue to grow. Um, you know, kind of our skill set as athletic trainers and us older athletic trainers then kind of continue to catch up. And you know, whether it's you know just adding more tools to the toolbox, so to speak. You know, they're they obviously some of our new grads are benefited with the fact that they got to learn it as in their education programs and some of us may end up having to learn it outside of that um but yet we all do that every day anyway if there's a certain content area that we want to get better at we're going to take some additional training and do other things and and get involved and and kind of learn more things to whether it's achieving a certification or just learning more about it whatever it might be if you could go back and give yourself some advice as an athletic young athletic trainer what would it be and can you set kind of when you would tell your go back to tell yourself that that advice um i think the most ex most specific example um if i want to get specific and i can generalize the maybe the the question and the answer too but um acl injuries specifically you know when i was in school i felt like doing a lockman's and an anterior drawer test was going to be the most obvious thing that i could ever do to identify an ACL injury. Um, and then it probably took me only a few months into it to realize that it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, so that's a specific example, but the general example is just that, you know, ultimately those, the things that you learn in the textbook and those tests that you do and the things that you, you know, kind of just went over and over of what a positive test was and what a negative test was, we don't really talk a lot about what the in-between test is that doesn't really fit. Um, you know, it's like, well, this wasn't really positive, but yet they're still having this. And the history kind of says this, um, sure. you know, so a lot of times now I tell a lot of the students, you know, and I certainly give them that information too, to not prepare for the fact that, you know, this very specific list of tests is going to give you this kind of algorithm that this was positive And now this is going to lead to this. Um, because a lot of times it's not always going to lead to that. Um, and you're, and a lot of times the story that the patient tells you and the history of that um, can probably guide you 75% of the way, almost sometimes more than sometimes your, your specific special tests do. Um, so, but yeah, overall, just not quite what you learned in the textbook, I guess, um, you know, would, would be kind of my general answer. I, I like that one. I, I distinctly remember, I was like, I'm going to come up with templates for rehab. It's going to make my life so much easier. You know, here's what we're going to do. And then I feel like you could still kind of ish do that, but just knowing that none of them respond the same. And I always argue, you know, what kind of makes you good as a rehab professional is figuring out where along that continuum you can drop people and then how fast you can push them and when to pull back. And that's, that just comes with time and feel and getting to know your patient and um, no textbook can prep you for that, unfortunately. Absolutely. What has been the most influential resource you've found in your career? You know, I think I already touched on that a little bit when I was talking about the committee work, but, you know, certainly that the NATA secondary school committee probably has been my most influential resource, but I would even, you know, and I talked about that a little bit when we talked about it, but I would even kind of piggyback off of that to something else I've probably already mentioned, but I think the other influential resources have been everybody that I've interacted with and worked with, whether that's committee members, colleagues, students, coworkers, you know, bosses, whatever the situation might be, 
all of those people kind of have made me what I am today, I guess. Um, so I would say all of those have been, you know, in general, influential resources. Um, but certainly the secondary school committee specifically has been by far the, the thing that has probably impacted me the most in my career. I think that's the first time we've had a committee uh, be mentioned as the most influential resource. So kudos for originality. There you go. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Um, it's tough. You know, I mean, we all talk about burnout and we all know that there's a lot of hours. And, you know, for me and the people who know me well know that I'm an early person and that that early part of my day is kind of my me time. Um, you know, it's the time that I do use for exercise. It's the time that I kind of take for my hobbies and kind of the time that I take for my kind of non-work you know, computer time, whether that's watching YouTube videos that are fun for me to watch, you know, and not maybe work related. Um, sometimes, obviously, that time is also used for work. Sometimes you just feel like you got to catch up. And if that's the time you got to do it, that's the time you got to do it. But, um, but overall, I definitely think that my, my, the hobbies that I have, which, I mean, I enjoy being outdoors, and I enjoy fishing, and I enjoy golfing. However, neither of those things I get much time to do. So I would, I love to say that I like to do it but I definitely do not get the time to do it like I would like to do. Um, I have collected football cards since I was four years old. So well over four decades now of collecting. Um, and I'm also a big Detroit Lions fan. So anybody can hold that against me if they want. Um, but, you know, that's been, you know, but a lot of my kind of interest outside of work is that. And I think it does, even though it's also still more time, it's more kind of, I don't want to call it work because it's fun, but I mean, it's the other things that you're doing that kind of just allow you to kind of disconnect a little bit, do something that you enjoy and love, um, you know, just maybe as much as, as the, the profession that you're serving. But um, that's probably been the way though, that I've tried to help balance that a little bit. And ultimately that makes my days longer sometimes, because obviously I'm not sleeping as much, but, um, but it's certainly just the kind of my mental health time, I guess, to kind of, you know, kind of reset and do the things that, that I enjoy. Awesome. You could change or eliminate one thing. Could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset in the field of athletic training. What would it be? Ooh, well, a lot of things there, probably. I mean, I would, <laughs> you know, we talked a lot, you know, about kind of the the social media aspect of things and the way people, you know, sometimes obviously attack in certain ways, and and that happens not just in athletic training; it happens everywhere and every sure. kind of level of anything. Um, you know, from a mindset perspective, it'd be great if that just kind of mindset would go away and people would just kind of, you know, kind of use the can't we all just get along theory. Um, but, you know, like I've said before, I mean, obviously we need we need other opinions to grow. So, I mean, I, I appreciate that aspect of it. Um, otherwise, though, you know, the thing that probably bothers me the most, obviously, is just the lack of communication from the people that you need it from. Um, and so obviously, sometimes when we're dealing with our our schools and colleges or any of the people that we're working with, you know, the lack of information when it comes to scheduled changes or things like that, that we're just not notified of, um, probably by far bothers me the most. It bothers me the most, obviously, because a lot of times I'm the one trying to coordinate those schedules. But even if it's involving me directly, um, I just, you know, I, you kind of want to come back with a side, you know, you're like, I can guarantee that you let the officials or the umpires know about this change. Um, so why didn't we, you know, learn about this change? Um, so those types of things just probably, you know, those, those bug me the most. So I guess, you know, in that, I would love to eliminate that and, and kind of make everybody just communicate with us the way they communicate with everybody else to make their organizations run smoothly. It would be nice. It's so much nicer to be asked than to be told. That is true. Or just to be expected. 
<laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Not sometimes not even told, just <laughs> you should know. Right. Um, last question. Uh, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Oh, that's a deep question too, ultimately, you know, and I think, you know, I think all of us are pretty passionate about what we do. And I think that's really important, but I, you know, athletic trainers wear a lot of different hats. Um, and I think, you know, that we provide, and I kind of mentioned this before too, but we kind of provide a really unique and essential role in healthcare and the healthcare community. And so I see that in all the settings and, you know, well, I think the fact that we do have that unique role, I think that shows in the fact that we're in all of these settings. You know, when we talk about mm -hmm. where athletic trainers work, it just keeps continuing to grow. And obviously that shows kind of who we are as healthcare professionals and the kind of impact that we can have in, you know, patients of all ages and all different, you know, areas. Um, so I guess then it kind of, you know, the, the question then kind of comes down to kind of those hats maybe a little bit that we do wear. You know, I think, you know, we obviously wear the heart of a healthcare provider. We wear the hat of being a learner. We wear the hat of being an educator. Um, we obviously wear the hat of, you know, being kind of an emergency action plan expert, and then ultimately the emergency care provider. Um, you know, and especially when we talk about, you know, kind of those four H's that become important in emergency care, you know, when it comes to heat and, and heat illness and the heart and the cardiac issues. And obviously we just had the issue with LeBron James's son who just collapsed also. And yep. our Hamlin incident, obviously this past January that we're obviously more public big things, but we know what's happening all the time. And, you know, so we need to continue to raise more awareness and I think that will continue to help. Um, but, you know, ultimately, obviously then, you know, the concussion stuff and the head things and, and sickle cell traits and all of the important things when it comes to just sudden death and the fact that, again, we're always going to be the ones that are asked to provide the kind of the policies and the care for those situations. Um, that being said, too, we wear the hat as a lifesaver um, in many times as well. Obviously, we talked about this a little bit too, but just kind of being a safe space, whether it's a mental health safe space or just being an ally for the people who need us. And obviously that can go through any of those areas that we talked about in the LGBTQIA community, or it can just be that person that's injured and just needs somebody to talk to. Um, and sometimes we're that person. Um, and ultimately, I think just, you know, it means that we're being a professional and that, you know, we have a responsibility in general that carries with that. And I think all of those things provide, you know, allow us to provide the athletic training services and true services and not just coverage. Um, coverage is probably the word that bugs me the most when I see it in anything, I always take it out and change it. Um, because obviously it just it sets a different example, I feel like if we're there to just provide coverage, it makes it feel like we're just there kind of to just in case. Um, but we want to be there for obviously those just in case situations, but we also want to be there to prevent those things from happening and to be there afterwards to help it get better too. That's a really long answer to, to what it means to me, but those are a lot of the things that it means. That's important. It's, it, it's not a simple answer, um, no matter how you put it, uh, with a lot of things and all good reasons for it to mean a lot to you. Uh, just to wrap up then, um, people wanted to connect with you, follow with you, reach out, what would be the best way? Uh, we'll link up everything on the episode page, but um, if you wanted to share what would be the easiest way, uh, please do. Yeah, I mean, I think email probably is always going to be the easiest way and the way that I'm probably always going to see that and that, you know, it's Hane, it's H-O-E-H-N dot Troy at mayo.edu. 
but I've got, you know, I've got a Twitter page, I've got an Instagram page, I've got a Facebook page. Um, the Instagram page is going to be primarily littered with football cards. So if you want to just kind of connect in that way, then that's the spot to connect with me at for sure. Um, sometimes that can be a little, just a fun side of things too. Um, and I try to share a little bit of educational things. I'm not a huge social media guy necessarily, obviously, I, but I really appreciate the people that are and really get the information out. Um, and I really like to, to share and retweet those, the people that are doing those things too. But, but any of those options certainly are, are available. Oh, we appreciate that. And if people want to get in touch with you, I highly recommend it. Troy's a great resource and fun to talk to. Uh, good to catch up with. So I uh, recommend doing that. But I uh, appreciate you taking the time, kind of sharing your story and all the different things that you've done and are doing and continue to do um, and just your perspective on things. Absolutely, Joel. I appreciate it. And I thank you for doing this, too. I think, again, these mediums are super important. Um, to allow people to learn more about people's backgrounds and to get information. Um, you know, and I've, I've enjoyed watching past episodes of this and look forward to future ones as well. So I appreciate you, you doing this and, and getting this rolling. Well, we appreciate you listening. So <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, until our next monthly call, we'll talk to you later. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Troy Hain. Hope you took something away from it. I know I did. It was great to get even deeper um, into everything that Troy does, even though I've gotten to know him, um, and just the importance of continuing to push forward for everything that you believe to make the athletic training profession great. Uh, as always, thank you to Sport, Mueller Sports Medicine for sponsoring our podcast. We truly appreciate it um, and the people there. If you are interested in journaling and want to give it a try, check out our Athletic Training Daily Journal. There is a 14-day sample at clinicallypress.org in the shop section. Completely free, no payment uh, info necessary. Uh, just sign up to download it, see what you think, and then you can find the digital version there or on Amazon. It's a great way to reflect on leadership, management, communication development, your practice, cognitive biases, all kinds of areas that we can all continually be working on to try and improve ourselves and ourselves as professionals. Thanks again for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. And we'll catch you next episode.